I also want to thank you for being here today. We are in our last session together of God Never Said That, a four-session series. You can catch up on anything you missed online if you'd like. God Never Said That. Today we're on the topic, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. That's a common cultural misunderstanding. We've been hitting common cultural misunderstandings, and of course there are many others besides the four we've hit, but this one, I just want to ask a couple of questions first. Have you ever run into anybody that uh, really believes it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincerely pursuing God? It really doesn't matter what you believe. Any run into conversations like that? Yeah. And similar to that conversation might be... um, is all paths eventually lead to God as long as you're sincerely seeking God. Hear, hear that one too? All right. So it's those cultural misunderstandings, and this in particular, that we're dealing with today. Now, before I start into today's message, maybe you believe that and uh, you're going to feel like your toes are being stepped on. I don't want to be unkind. I just want to be clear where where we believe, what we believe, why we believe it, and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. So it doesn't matter what you believe. Now, some people even read the Bible this way. They hear the words of Jesus, and they hear the words through this filter, and they think that's what Jesus is saying. So here's one example. Out of Matthew chapter 7, we read this, verse 7 and 8, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So it sounds like since everybody can ask, and everybody can seek, and everybody can knock, and, and that eventually if you're all seeking, asking, and knocking from wherever place you're coming from, it sort of sounds like all paths eventually lead to the answer, finding, the door opening, and that. And some people read this that way, thinking that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And the reason why I don't think Jesus is saying that is because of the context. He's been talking about his father and about the kingdom and about prayer. And so what he's saying is if you ask his father and keep asking, if you seek from his father, you'll find. If you seek from his father and keep knocking at the door of God his father, you're going to find the answer. So there's a lot of uh, interpretation that flows through our filters, and we have these presuppositions that cause us to even interpret the different things Jesus says in different ways. So today's focus reads this way. We live at a time when people seem to value the act of belief rather than the real object of belief. It's kind of like, okay, so you believe that and it works for you, and so that's great because it's working for you. And that kind of believing is, I believe, different than the kind of believing that Jesus encourages us to have because he's talking about a reality of what we believe, not just the act of belief itself in terms of our sincerity. And so we do run into some interesting presuppositions that cause us to interpret things the way we interpret. So here's some false presuppositions that we're going to begin with. False presuppositions. All religions are basically the same. Have you, anybody heard anybody say that? All religions are basically the same. That's a false presupposition. But if you believe that, of course you're going to believe that all paths 
lead to God because all religions are basically the same, right? So one false presupposition might lead you to another false conclusion. And here's another false presupposition. We could have a lot of them, but we're just picking two. Um, Religious truth is subjective truth, not objective truth. Faith is subjective truth that works for you because you believe it works, okay? That's a secular viewpoint of how to evaluate all of our experience of faith. That's how secularists that don't believe there really is a God evaluate what we're doing. They think, okay, it works for you because you believe it works for you. So they see all of religion, so to speak, kind of like a placebo pill. It's like a sugar pill with no objective reality, but because you believe it works for you, there's an effect in your life where something's kind of working. You're encouraged, you have more peace, you're experiencing some bliss of some sort and some hope and blah, blah, blah. But that's all not real, it's just real to you. There's a placebo effect for you. And that's a subjective way of interpreting faith. Now, by the way, just understanding these false presuppositions helps you to be in a better position to have dialogue with people to try to figure out what they're talking about when they affirm that they're right, and they're right, and they're right, and they're right, and all of those are contradictory, and everybody believes everybody. it's okay. It's equally right to believe this because it works for them. It's equally right to believe this because it works for them, and so on and so forth. How could that be okay? Well, it's okay if it's only subjective truth, rather than objective truth. We're not really seeking the reality of objective truth in the definition. Do you get what I'm saying? All right. So, no matter what others might think, I think Jesus doesn't define faith this way. And the reason why Jesus doesn't define faith this way is his claims. Now, I'm going to put his claims up on the screen, and this is offensive to people who believe that all paths lead to God, and it's offensive to people who believe that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Here's the offensive statement of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life pointer. (laughs) He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says this exclusive statement, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so people get really angry at the narrowness of the Christian faith, but we are the ones trying to be narrow. We're trying to follow uh, Jesus who claims this, and we have reasons to believe his claim. So What I want to do with our time together is kind of investigate the various viewpoints and try to figure out, well, what do we do with that? Now, if a number of you already believe that this claim is true, and you think, oh, we're going to get into all of that, I already believe that, and you start to zone out, don't do that, okay? Because you need to hear and listen for some ways in which you can have life-giving conversations full of grace and full of truth with people um, that feel the way they do about many ways to God, okay? And so listen up if you believe what Jesus claimed here is right off face value. That's what the truth is. And if you're here and you kind of are offended by Jesus' comment here, maybe you kind of agree with the quote. I'm going to say quote because I don't believe they're really biblical scholars. They study the Bible a lot, but they don't believe the Bible. There's a lot of Bible scholars who study the Bible a lot and propagate their presuppositions about the Bible. They say things like this. Jesus really didn't say that. 
And they say, this is superimposed on the lips of Jesus years later, and the church says that, Jesus said that, to say what the church believes, but Jesus didn't really say that. Hogwash. If Jesus didn't say that, he would not have been crucified. And we know from history, and whether you're a believer in Christ or not, secular historians believe that Jesus Christ was crucified because secular writers wrote about it, and Jesus was crucified, and that's written about in history. Okay? Why was he crucified? He was crucified because he made very controversial claims, and this is just one of them. That's why he was crucified. If you eliminate the controversial claims of Jesus, then you have this huge puzzle of what to do with history. Why was this guy that everybody thought was so great, why was he crucified? Well, you need to hang on to the words and claims of Jesus to make sense of that history. Now, this is a really heavy subject. It's hard to deal with this subject and not step on toes and, and you know, kind of get too intense. And in the second service, I had to actually stop and start, stop, I, I got to breathe because I get excited. I get going. It's like, wait, pause, take a breath. Okay. All right. So here's my pause. I'm taking a breath. We're going to talk about Charlie Brown. All right. So here we go. Charlie Brown. Here. Good grief, Charlie Brown says. 184 to nothing. I don't understand it. How can we lose when we're so sincere? Okay? So there's a little humor there. That sincerity is the subjective side, right? The objective side of how to win, it takes a little bit more than sincerity. And, and so Charlie Brown is making a spoof there. Here, let's go another humorous route. And, and if you're going to take offense. This is a joke, okay? So just go with me here. Let's say your tooth aches, and you go to the dentist, and you think you just need a filling, and the dentist says, oh, no, no, it's way bigger and deeper than that. We need to do a, a root canal. Now, I've never had a root canal, so if I don't know what I'm talking about, just, I've never had one. Let's just pretend I know what I'm talking about. And the dentist says, so here's what we need to do with the root canal, and you've never heard of it, and it's like, what does he do? I'm going to need to drill right down through and eliminate that root. I don't know if that's really true, but then, then it's going to cause the pain to go away. Oh, it sounds dreadful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The good news is that there are many paths to get to the root. Okay, and you go, what do you mean by that? Well, see, yours is in the way back lower right, so rather than me kind of getting in that weird, awkward angle inside your mouth, I'm thinking about going up through your jaw, in your neck, to get at that root. You go, really? Is that really better? He says, yeah, well, there's many paths to get at the root of any problem. And you say, well, what do you mean by many paths? You mean, well, normally we go through the top of the tooth and down into that root, but in your case, maybe I'll try to go in through the back of the neck because it's way right back there. And you go, really? There are many ways. Now listen, if you're that open-minded, he just as well go through the top of your head and go through nothing <laughs> to get to that root. It's not going to hurt anything. You're totally open-minded. Okay, there's a joke. <laughs> not a good one, but it gets the idea across that really there's a right path and there's a wrong path. And there may be consequences to wrong paths, and that's what we're talking about. So what I want us to do from this point forward in this session together is to set aside our preconceptions, which might be false presuppositions, and consider again the claims of Jesus. 
So if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not sure about Jesus, you're a skeptic about Jesus, I'm asking you to consider again about Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus, I'm asking you to consider the claims of Jesus again for the rest of our time together. Here we go. Point number one, if you're the kind of person that likes to fill in the blanks, there's your blank. If you're the kind of person that hates writing stuff down, just listen. Point number one, consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, which is the biography of Jesus' ministry, all about Jesus' ministry, we read about what Jesus did and said. And here is what we read in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, 16 through 17. We read, When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There's a lot of people that are trying to follow Jesus Christ in a religious way who think that what Jesus came to do is to collect all the righteous people and have a righteous following of people that have their acts together. And he's trying to find who has their acts together because you have their act together. He calls you to be a part of this thing. That is not Jesus' ministry. He says, no, I came for all those people that understand they do not have their act together. They're a mess and they need to be rescued. That's why I've come. And if you don't recognize that, you're not going to want to follow Jesus or feel a need to follow Jesus because you're doing just fine, thank you. And so you're not really considering Jesus. But God's vantage point is every one of us needs to be rescued. Every one of us needs to be restored. And that's what Jesus came to do. So A on your outline is this why he came. So just remember what I just read. The reason he came is to rescue us, to redeem us. So when you start thinking, I don't know, I'm feeling really uncomfortable in church because I, I'm all messed up. Join the crowd. We are here because we need to be rescued. And those of us who have been rescued are in the process of being restored. And we're at various stages of this restoration. And none of us have arrived. And if we think we've arrived, we're more like those Pharisees and say, why is he hanging out with those people? Wait, we are those people, and we're glad that he's hanging out with us, okay? So that's why he came. B, on your outline, let's consider what he taught. What he taught. Here's the other biography, the other gospel of John. There's four of these biographies. The gospel of John in chapter 8, we read this. Verse 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him. Let's just pause there for a moment. For thousands of years before Jesus arrived, there was prophecies about the arrival of the Messiah who was going to come and save his nation, his people. And he was going to be a world ruler, not just the ruler of the chosen nation. And so they believed that Jesus was this one that they're anticipating, waiting for, and the timing is all right, and he's starting to do miracles and stuff. So there's a lot of followers of Jesus, Jews who had believed that he was the one, the Messiah, the Savior, and he says this to them. Okay, so before we read what he says to them, they already are open to him. They're already believing in him. They're already beginning to listen to him. Okay, but this is what he says. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Pause and ponder that. 
they're already believing he's the guy. They already believe he's the Messiah. They're already favorably disposed to him. But he's saying, you're not really my disciples yet. All across the nation, I think we have a failure in that across the nation, there's this easy believism that says, all you got to do is to believe that God sent his son Jesus, and now you're in. I did that. I did that 22 years ago. Didn't change a thing, but I did that. You know, that's, that's kind of where a lot of Americans live. Oh, I believe in Jesus. And Jesus' teaching teaches something different. You are really my disciples if you hold to my teachings. What does that mean? It means you listen to them, you embrace them, you agree with them, you trust them, you trust them enough that that's teaching objective reality, so I'm stepping into the objective reality thinking this will really work for me, so I'm going to embrace this, I'm going to make this work for me. And then as you do that, here's what Jesus says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Some of us want to leap past. All we do, yep, I believe in Jesus, boom, how come I'm not set free? Well, are you holding to the teachings? Are you stepping into the teachings? Are you following the teachings like you trust him enough to do what he says? Now, if you do, you're going to discover that what he describes, how life really works, is a reality. It's an objective reality, and it really works. Whoa, I will know and experience the truth as true. That's what he's describing, and it'll set you free. This is Jesus' teaching. A little different than sometimes we think it means to believe in Jesus. See on your outline what he did. Jesus opened blind eyes miraculously. Lots of different ways. He opened deaf ears so that they could hear. He caused people who were mute to be able to speak. He caused people who were lame from birth to be able to immediately get up. He even spoke to dead bodies and said, rise, and immediately life was restored, and they sat up. And all of this was taking place in front of other people. People related to the people. People were jumping up and down and overjoyed. And here's what's really interesting about all of this. He had critics. And these critics never once said, wait, this is all bells and whistles, this is smoke screens, this is fraud, this is trickery. They never once said any of that. You know what they did say? First, let me tell you why they didn't say it was trickery. It was too obviously real. All the relationships are involved. This isn't just a setup. All these people who are connected, they're verifying, they're confirming. Yep, he's our, my son. Yep, he's been blind since birth. Yep, he's the one that really died. Yeah, he honestly was dead. We know dead. And on and on the story goes. So they never said it's smoke screen and mirrors, it's trickery. Here's what they said. He is doing this by the power of evil. That's what his critics said. They couldn't deny his miracles, so they ascribed the source of his miracle to evil. The problem was, all of the crowds that saw said, wait, that doesn't make any sense. That's just like a total contradiction. That can't be evil. He's so good. He's better than you, and you're calling him evil. He actually helps us. You never do. You load us up with all this guilt, and you never help us unload the guilt. He loves us. He treats us like people. He cares for us. And look at what he's done. And you're calling him evil? And so 
people followed Jesus. These critics didn't know what to do with all of that, but they're convinced Jesus is wrong, and they're convinced he's evil, and that's why they want him crucified. That's not all he did. Point number two. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Now let me be really clear about this. I do not believe in a placebo of the resurrection. <laughs> I do not believe that because I believe that there is a resurrection principle that I can resurrect too. I don't believe in a symbolic resurrection. The center of my faith is that Jesus was really crucified, really died, and really raised to life. That's the center of my faith. Some people think the center of my faith is the Bible. No, the center of my faith is Jesus. The center of my faith is Jesus who did rise from the dead. It's verifiable in history and there's evidence for it. And because there's evidence for it, now I begin to believe the Bible's evidence and I look into the evidence of Jesus. The more I read the Bible, the more it's like, whoa, it works, it fits. It really is real. And that's amazing. So consider the resurrection of Jesus. Here's a really short sermon, one short verse. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. This is a really short sermon, but it was very, very powerful. Now, part of it is timing. And here's the sermon. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to take the liberty of calling it a three-point sermon. Here's point number one. You killed the author of life. Now, timing is everything because this happened, this sermon was preached just months after, literally, the people he's preaching it to were there in the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, because they're disillusioned. He's not the kind of Messiah they're expecting. Now they're ready to turn on him. He must be evil because he's not doing what we expect him to do. And then the sermon point number one is you killed the author of life. Talk about feeling a little uncomfortable with the message. Point number two, but God raised him from the dead. Now, so far, that would be powerful enough, and the reason it's so powerful is because something has happened, and they all know it. There's an explosion in this movement of the followers of Jesus that's just exploding around everybody, and it's undeniable, and now this explanation is being put forward. Now, don't miss the last point. Point number three is the most powerful point of all. We are witnesses of this. Now, just in case you are tempted to misunderstand, it wasn't just the 11 disciples. Judas killed himself, so there's only 11 left. It wasn't just because the 11 disciples saw Jesus resurrected. More than 500 people saw Jesus resurrected. Paul describes that in 1 Corinthians. And so there are hundreds of people that saw Jesus resurrected, and every single one of them has had this experience that is undeniable right in the face of the fact that there was a public execution of Jesus, and it was undeniable that he was killed. And now all of these people are claiming not only was he resurrected, but they're different. They are changed. So I want to put something on the screen that talks about that a little bit. What changed the 11 disciples from devastated, disillusioned, doubters, hiding in the locked room, to fearless, faithful followers, 
overnight. Sometimes we don't think about this enough. Here's what we think about the disciples. They believed in Jesus because the Old Testament talked about Jesus, and because the Old Testament talked about Jesus and was fulfilled in prophecy in Jesus, they believed what the Bible said about Jesus, and they had faith in Jesus, and so there are preconceived thinking Jesus is the guy, and so because they believe the book, they believe in Jesus. No, you need to know that as soon as they were disillusioned and Jesus was crucified, every single one of them were doubters of the worst kind. I mean, disillusioned, crazy disillusioned, fearing for their lives. What have we done? We've just followed him for three and a half years for what? For nothing. He's dead. And now we're fearing for our lives. What changed that was that Jesus appears and they meet him and he is changed. Now, that's something that we haven't had replicated here, but there are so many others here who've met Jesus, not in the same bodily resurrected form, but we are, we can claim we're miracles too. We have a before and after story. We have been rescued. We've been restored. We're living, breathing miracles. But when they saw those disciples, the crowd knew these guys have changed. All right, now, hold on. Let's say that you're not buying any of this. Let's say you're a skeptic. Welcome, I'm glad you're here. I hope you come back. I'm not trying to push you away, okay? If you're a skeptic, you're not buying all of this, you can still choose to be a skeptic, but you need to do something with this. How did this happen? How did a movement explode immediately after this public execution? And the movement is based on the centered fact that he's raised from the dead. Was this the world's greatest hoax? Did 11 of these nobodies get together and pull off this world's greatest hoax? If so, why? Especially in view of history's fact that all of them would eventually die a gruesome martyr's death with the exception of the apostle John, who was, according to legend, put in boiling oil and survived and wasn't killed in a martyr's death, just exiled to the island of Patmos. So you got a horrible, horrible ending for these guys who don't care. Why don't they care? Because they're following a resurrected Jesus and they don't fear death. If it's a hoax, don't you think they crack? Don't you think they just spill the beans? This movement exploded because they were witnesses of this. Point number three, consider the claims of Jesus. So we've been looking at the claims of Jesus. Here's the interpretive claim of Jesus from the apostle Paul's vantage point, summarizing what these claims mean. In the book of Romans, verse 22, Paul says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. We're alienated from God the Father, but if we receive and place our faith in Jesus, we actually walk across the way, accept the truth, and experience life. Jesus is saying, if you want a way out of sin, I'm the guy. If you want to experience the truth that'll set you free, I'm the guy. If you want life that is so satisfying, you don't even want to taste the dirt that you're stuck in, I'm that guy. I'm not just going to add blessing to your life. I will be the center of your life that you'll want to live for and revolve around and orbit around, get closer and closer to. I'm life. That's the claims of Jesus. And Paul is just helping us get it. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ 
So it's not about, oh, I did so good. I placed my, it's my sincerity that makes it all work. No, it's him that made it all work. It's the objective reality that makes it work. It's just like, okay, you can do this for me. You're the guy, help me, I'm a mess. That's how it works. And this is true for everyone who believes. Not just the people that have it together. In fact, Jesus said it doesn't really work if you think you've had it together. If you realize you need me, that's the starting point for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Next screen. God did not choose you because of what you do. A lot of the people with the religion approach, they think, if long, as long as I do this, as long as I do that, and do all this right, and do it all right, then he'll choose me. No! He didn't choose you because of what you do. God loves you because of who he is. And he sent Jesus, his son, to rescue you and restore you. The question is, do you want to be rescued? Do you want to be restored? Do you want to be made right with God? If you do, <laughs> now's the time. Don't wait. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. On the screen, I have scripted a prayer to conclude today. It's a prayer that is good for you if you're a skeptic and you'd like to take a step where you kind of think, okay, so you're talking about this believing thing. I don't know if I believe. I can't take a step. Okay, here's what you can do. You can't go, mm, I'm going to try to believe. If you don't believe, you don't believe. But here's what you can do. Okay? You can take a step to see if the objective reality has any merit and investigate the objective reality. Even in your praying, you're testing to see a real person if he is trustworthy. If you say you can do this, I'm talking to you. If you say you can deliver, I'm, I'm going to interact with you. I'm going to see if this thing is real because relationship is built on trust. Okay? So that's for you if you're a skeptic. If you're already a believer, there's nothing in this that's going to be bad for you to pray. Let's all stand together. If you really don't want to pray it, don't have to pray it. I'm not trying to pressure anybody. But let's pray this together out loud. Here we go. Dear God, I need far more than sincerity. I need an objective reality I can trust. You claim to be the way to be a better life. If you are, I need you. You claim that you are the truth. You said, if I hold to your teaching, I will know the truth and the truth will set me free. If this is true, I want to follow your teaching because I need to be set free. You claim to be the life and I want more life that is truly life a life of significance that is also eternal. If all this is objective, I tell the truth, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice purifying me from my sin and guilt. Thank you for your sin and death conquering life. I want to be made right with God by placing my faith in you. You said, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I'm a mess. Thank you for offering yourself to me in my mess. I place my faith in you. I take a step of trust in you. I choose to follow you, rescue me, and restore me. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen? All right, if this is a prayer that you prayed and you just, I mean, this is a, a step for you and it's not one you've taken and you're kind of thinking, okay, now what? Let me just make a couple of suggestions. One suggestion is talk about what you just did. 
One way to do that would be to go over to the prayer team to the right, have them pray for you. Say, I just prayed that prayer. I would like to trust Jesus. That's what I want. Have them pray for you. Talk about it with others. Another suggestion is, right after this service, we have next steps preview. We'll be sharing with you some next steps that we think are helpful for you. Come to the next steps preview. That's for anybody. If you're just, I mean, you believe Jesus Christ and you kind of think this church is something you want to find out more about, that's for you too. 1215, right here across the hall. Two weeks from now is the Connect Life class. And that is a, a great place to learn more about making these connections. And we're not pressuring anybody to do anything. We're just educating, training, helping you take steps if that's what you're ready to do. So that may be a, a step for you to sign up for. You can walk across the hall to the Connection Central booth and sign up for that. And that's in a couple of weeks. That's great stuff. Now, here's what's coming next week. A new series called When I Need a Miracle. This is exciting because we're going to be studying miracles. It's exciting because some of us want miracles and we don't wonder why we're not getting one and those kinds of things. And the next week is the really hottest one. It's the most controversial one, when I need deliverance. We're going to talk about the dark side and different things like that. So uh, whether you believe that or not, you might want to hear more, when I need a miracle. Hope to see you next week. Have a great day. So glad you came. Enjoy your day. God bless you.